Welcome to Market Week in Review for the week ending September 17th, 2021. I'm Sophie Antelgibert, and I'm joined today by Eric Ristovan, our Chief Investment Strategist. Hello, Eric. Hey, Sophie. Good to see you. It's great to see you too. So I'm hoping that we can get some insight from you on three topics that are sort of making headlines quite a bit this week. And obviously we're recording Thursday afternoon, so it's anybody's guess what tomorrow's news will bring, but hopefully um, these things will still be on, on people's radars. But the first is we've had some news on inflation, a little bit of a mixed bag. So would love to hear what you're drawing out of that mixed bag and how you're making sense of it. Um, Two is we have some information about the small business sentiment survey that I'd love to get your take on. And then lastly, China and um, Chinese economic growth. We've had some some data out of there. Sound good? Yep, sounds good. All right. So maybe let's launch into the first topic, inflation. It's been going up. It's been going down. Prices are what what is happening? What are you looking at? And more importantly, what should we be looking at? Yeah, so to, this week we, we saw um, a, a lot of numbers about inflation. Uh, cores, uh, headline CPI, uh, CPI was up over 5.3% year on year, so a big number. Um, that is. Not as, big as, not as big as some of the numbers we've been seeing, but still a big number. Uh, core was around 4%, um, uh, and you know that was lower than expectations. So, you know... Good, bad news is good news, I guess, in, in that capacity. I, I, you know, if you were concerned about inflation at the end of July, you're prop, and using those numbers as the basis for concern, you're probably not more concerned after August, but you're probably not feeling great about inflation. Um, we still think, and the Fed is still saying that they view those inflationary effects as transitory. However, it was the other data that we saw this week from the Atlanta Fed. They do a wage tracker. Um, and, you know, we've talked lots, uh, lots about over time. The Fed doesn't really care whether prices, you know, jump up. What they care about is inflation, which is the sustained increase of prices over time. If, you know, prices jump up, that, that can be a one-time thing and it's not sustained. That's not inflation. Um, yeah, and we've seen yeah. that a lot. Sometimes it's weather-induced or pandemic-induced or whatever, but it sort of evens out again in the long run. Anybody out there wondering what's an example? Gasoline, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? I mean, it's it's been nutty to watch the price behavior of gasoline, uh, but but the reality is is the the thing about inflation that they concern are concerned most about is, and the reason they're not concerned about those transitory inflations is because if people don't earn more. Eventually, those things are short term, right? They they can't like they can't afford to buy more of kind of anything, so they have to substitute what they buy if they're going to do that. But you know, it's not really enough pressure to keep the inflation going. It can it can keep going, however, if if wages go up. Um, and that was I, I it's not troubling, but it is something to note, right? Because we've talked a lot about the fact that there are over 10 million job openings in the United States and. Clearly, you know, people are having some trouble finding employees um, and they're beginning to do what you think they would do is they're raising wages in order to attract those people who maybe are more reluctant than, than they like, they, they, the employers would like them to be. And, and so that wage number is just shy of 4% in that, in that Atlanta Fed study. At 4%, usually the, it kind of gets the Fed's attention. So in this debate as to when will the you know Fed start tapering and when will they 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 eventually start raising rates, 
it hasn't changed our fundamental view, but it's a watch point. Um, I think we still believe they'll announce in November, but they could announce this this month in their meeting. Um, and, and that and that wage number might be one of the things that pushes them over the edge. We'll see. Um, but again, they're going to they're going to start to taper. Last time it took them a year. So you kind of expect to take a year. Then they waited to see what happened, see all the dust settle. And then they started raising rates. So we still think you're not going to see rate rises until kind of early 2023 or, or even probably maybe even mid 2023. And that's probably where we would say mid 2023. So it, it's important to keep track of that because, you know, that it kind of the inflation numbers will probably dictate the kind of pace and whether they go sooner or later in terms of what the Fed does. Right now, those are our expectations. They haven't changed meaningfully, but we're watching that, that, that wage number closely. Well, and whatever you're watching, we're watching, Eric. So related to that, though, when we're talking about wages and inflation and, you know, demand and supply pressures there, I'm wondering, we, you know, we're seeing some, the, the small business sentiment survey came out. How does that relate to what we've been seeing in terms of wages? I mean, there, presumably there's an impact and, and, an, and a pretty significant impact for small businesses in particular. Um, how are they faring in this? And what is that sentiment number telling us? Yeah, if the macro data tells you wages, or what is small business, because you would expect, it's like that would actually be in the small business data as well, and it is, right? So um, 27% of the respondents to that survey are now saying that they think that staffing, the inability to staff completely is going to become a, a pretty serious issue for their businesses in the very near term. Mm-hmm. One in five, well, almost one in five, 18% of them are saying it already is an issue. So, you know, one of the things that, that is, is kind of uh, uh, an inhibitor to how quickly the U.S. economy can grow, we've been talking about, not just us, everybody's been talking about is this kind of reluctance of those unemployed workers that became unemployed in 2020. We think there's about 5 million excess unemployed people out there as a result of the economic damage last year. Yeah, we would have expected them to come to work more quickly, but those very lucrative unemployment benefits lasted until the September 6th. So we're going to be watching very closely what the September, you know, the September jobs data and probably more importantly, what the October jobs data says, you know, are these 5 million excess unemployed people going to start to actually take jobs? Because 10 million job openings and 5 million excess unemployed, you kind of do the math, that that should be a bit somewhere. uh, And yet the small business is telling us that's an issue. The other thing the NFIB survey told us was the supply chain disruption, right? That we've all seen, talked about. Experience firsthand. (laughs) Experience firsthand. Half of them, half the respondents are saying that supply chain disruption is an issue for them um, in, in terms of their business. Now, it's that good news, bad news, right? Business is so good, like basically if you interpret the study, because the sentiment went up actually in the month, the overall sentiment, business is so good, their challenges are they can't hire enough people to take to do the business they think they could do, and they don't have enough product to sell <laughs> for the business that they have demanded. So, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's one of the restrictor plates on the economy and probably why the economy isn't quite growing as fast as, Maybe we anticipated it would be, and many other people anticipated, but make no mistake, the economic data is good. It just, it could be probably better if these things didn't exist. We think both of them are transitory, um, but we'll watch. And, and usually supply chain disruptions are almost always transitory. They kind of work their way through the system. 
I mean, at some point when containers go from $2,000 to $25,000, somebody's going to make sure more containers are available. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, way. absolutely. Somehow we will figure this out too. Although it does feel like it's been a little while at the moment with it these supply been chain issues. It takes a while for it to work through that whole supply chain. Um, you, know my, you know my line, Sophie. This is our first pandemic. So <laughs> <laughs> this is, this is, um, I'm wondering in terms of growth, you talked about economic growth in the U S let's turn our eye a little bit to China. What are the numbers coming out there at the moment? Obviously, as you're talking about supply chains, it's not just a U.S. supply chain, it's a global supply chain. And a lot of those, you know, end up starting or at least at some point um, also occurring in, in China. How is China affected by all of this? What are the numbers showing there? And what's your read? So we saw some data out of China this week that wasn't particularly encouraging. In fact, it was downright um, poor. Uh, in, in two major areas, uh, kind of the two areas that matter a lot in China, retail sales and property. Um, you know, property has been the pillar of kind of the, the, Japanese, or the Chinese economy for quite some time, and both of them took a hit. Um, now, I, I think the, the retail sales still up, right, year on year, about two and a half percent, but that's, you know, down from where it was at the end of July, it was eight, up eight and a half percent year on year. So, you know, it, it was a notable step down in terms of the increase in consumption. Consumption still increased, just not as much. The other thing that you saw was, you know, home sales actually slowed pretty dramatically, 17 percent on the uh, in the in the data. Um, yeah. I, I don't think that's uh, you know, if you think about retail sales, that's probably being affected by the covid restrictions. Um, you know, they, can't they leave do your have, house and yeah, yeah. And it, it's not you know they they they're very targeted in those restrictions, but um, they're very very disciplined about those restrictions. So I think I think you have to factor that into the retail sales, and that'll kind of follow the path it follows. I think the housing isn't so much COVID related because actually you know the housing did really well during COVID globally. Uh, I think that's more of this effort that the government's been under to control the shadow banking system. Mm. They're reducing the amount of credit that the shadow banking system can provide. A lot of that credit was used to buy property. Um, so, you know, I, I think that's kind of a natural um, result to some degree of the fact that if you shrink the availability of credit by hammering the, the shadow banking system, you're going to see it in parts of your economy. And, Fewer and I think people have it. the money to be able to buy the property then. Well, they, they can't get the financing, right? Is Yeah, you're Correct. right. They don't have the money. They can't. Nobody will give them the money because the people they used to get the money from can't give them the money anymore. So on the offset of that is, and, and it means that China now is engaging in active policies to encourage credit creation through the official channels. Um, they've already cut the reserve rate requirement three times. Uh, it, it seems that probably where you're going to start hearing is a, a a lot of people talking about the fact they actually just need to cut the lending rate, which I don't think is out of bounds. Uh, our view on China is for, for lots of reasons that you're, you're going to see a reacceleration, that these, these trends that you're seeing currently um, uh, are, are unlikely to continue given what's happening with global growth um, mm -hmm. and, and kind of given what's happening within China itself. There is a national Congress next year. Um, you know, all things being equal, leaders usually like people to be happy going into those congresses. And so, uh, and, and, and just be clear, 
China's not alone in that. <laughs> yes, indeed. Indeed. Very good. Well, thank you so much, Eric. Unfortunately, that's all we have time for today, but really appreciate you stopping by and sharing your insights. And thank you for joining us. We'll be back again soon. <laughs>